Welcome to episode 60 of the Avatar Hour podcast, your ultimate companion podcast to the world of Avatar. I'm Kayla. And I'm Andre. And today we are delving into this month's topic episode and discussing the real world influences of Avatar. And to ask the burning question, is the US the Fire Nation? As always, a uh, potential spoiler warning for both Avatar Universe TV shows, the Kyoshi novels, Katara and the Pirate Silver, and Suki Alone. And today is a very special episode because we are so excited to welcome back friend of the pod, Savannah. How's it going, Savannah? Great. Thank you so much for having me back. Of course, of course. It's been 51 episodes since oh you've been goodness. on the show. Yeah, and you all have seriously like gone above and beyond to like make this podcast the dream that it was from the beginning. I'm so proud of you. Oh, you're so sweet. You. We're so glad to have you back. We've been like talking about like we should bring Savannah back for a topic episode again. And here we are. Yeah. I'm so excited to get into it. Our episode of the villains of Avatar The Last Airbender is probably like one of my top three episodes to go back and listen to. It is insanely chaotic. And <laughs> yes. I just I just laugh so much every time I listen to it. So oh, if you guys are interested, any new listeners coming in that wasn't uh, here when Savannah was on the pod last time, go ahead and visit episode nine, The Villains of Avatar The Last Airbender, where we ranked all the villains and somehow a discussion about Boba T was somehow involved. <laughs> um, now, before we get into the meat of the episode, we do have a new patron. So we're going to give a shout out to Olivia. They are our newest Patreon member joining us at the Metal Bender level, and they will be able to access our monthly episode schedule and show notes, a personalized thank you video from the hosts, as well as access to our behind the scenes Zoom recordings. If you'd like to join Olivia and get these benefits and even more, head over to patreon.com slash the Avatar Hour podcast. And one last bit that we wanted to give a shout out to our friends over at um, the live-action avatar on Instagram and, and uh, TikTok have just released their trailer for their fan film Avatar The Last of the Airbenders. Um, we did interview them uh, back in Season 2, so go ahead and check out that episode if you want to hear more about that project. But yes, me and, and Kayla got the opportunity to watch the trailer in advance, and it was amazing. Absolutely. All right. So just introducing this episode a little bit, this idea was kind of uh, one of the first me and Kayla thought of, uh, even before we recorded an episode, talking about mainly the, the theme of the Fire Nation and imperialism and how that kind of connects to the idea of, is the Fire Nation really the United States and vice versa and whatever. And we thought we could take that idea and kind of expand it more into talking about like the real world influences uh, that has been been able to influence avatar since its creation so we're going to talk about like literature religion culture and we're going to talk all about that and lead up to that final burning question is the u.s really the fire nation so let's start with literature influences um so the first one i thought of off the top of my head was obviously harry potter there's a couple of parallels there um especially the point of ang quote-unquote dying and the villain thinking that they have won um, the Chosen One narrative, which is not exclusive to just Harry Potter and Avatar. These last two are from Reddit, um, which mm -hmm. I thought were interesting. The main villain's chief henchman is a maniacal psychopathic woman of incredible power, i.e. Azula and Bellatrix. And the mentor characters have lost someone important to them, causing them to turn away from the pursuit of power to instead pursue the path of goodness. So Iroh loses his son, causing him to forsake the war. And Dumbledore loses his sister, causing him to forsake his master plan. 
Um, so doing a little bit more research, apparently Lord of the Rings was also a major influence. And I also turned to Reddit for this one because I'd only seen Lord of the Rings once all the way through. Same. And I, off the top of my head, I couldn't think of any influences. But Reddit helped me out. And they said, um, both stories focus on a humble orphan burdened with the task of saving the world, Aang and Frodo, and an exiled prince destined to redeem his nation, Zuko and Aragorn. The main villains seek to destroy the old world and replace it with an industrial society. Earth King Kue and King Theoden are manipulated by their royal advisors to ignore the wars that threaten their kingdoms. And Aang and Frodo are mentored by spirits that take the form of elder- elderly bearded men, Roku slash Gandalf. Beards. Um, <laughs> beards, exactly. And then one final thing uh, specifically about literature is obviously there are a lot of um, notes taken from Joseph Campbell and the idea of the hero's journey. Um, so not, I wouldn't say all of the steps apply. I kind of try to pick the ones that probably fit the most with Avatar, um, the last Airbender in, in particular. One is the refusal of the call to adventure. So Aang denying his avatarhood, uh, meeting the mentor, Aang meeting Roku in time of need, crossing the threshold, which is Aang finding out about the genocide of his people and setting out on his path to defeat the Fire Lord, and obviously the resurrection, Katara bringing back bringing Aang back to life. Any thoughts on these influences from like this well-known literature kind of influencing how Avatar, Avatar's story kind of reflects that? I hadn't really considered the Lord of the Rings influences. Um, I shouldn't be surprised by it because, you know, the movies were coming out at around the time that Avatar was in development. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't watched the Lord of the Rings since like high school. So it's been a hot minute. Um, And I didn't even think about the Harry Potter influences, which also was a really popular series during the time that Avatar was being made. Um, And of course, we also done a whole episode on the parallels between Star Wars and Avatar. So go check that one out if you want to hear a larger discussion about that. And of course, the, uh, you know, Star Wars was also influenced by the hero's journey as well. I think at this point we've exhausted the topic of Star Wars and Avatar parallels. So just go watch the episode for that. Uh, yeah. Or listen, I should say. Uh, you can watch it if you're on Patreon. Uh. <laughs> yeah. And as far as the hero's journey goes, um, I'm not sure if you've already talked about this on the pod or not, but um, just it, identifying it almost directly with Hercules is a great way to to show the parallels between that and this one, like showing the the refusal call to adventure, meeting the mentor, which was Danny DeVito, um, crossing crossing the threshold, going to the sticks, and then the resurrection coming out of sticks and um, ultimately being the hero. So, um, if you aren't familiar with Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter and haven't delved into those things, that's a great thing to parallel with it as well. I never considered Hercules for that at all, and I love that. <laughs> So yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a great parallel for the hero's journey. And honestly, hero's journey goes back in literature, obviously, like thousands and thousands of years. I have examples that I'm forgetting right now, but um, Hercules is probably the best one and the most well-known one. Yeah. Um, if you want to hear more about how Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings influenced Avatar, um, if you check out Bragg's episode on the Braving the Elements podcast with Jeanette Varney and Dante Bosco, they talk a little bit how... Um, the pitch that they did for Avatar was in response to Nickelodeon wanting like a higher fantasy show to reflect and kind of ride the coattails, quote unquote, of Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. So definitely that was a major, major, major um, influence in how Avatar kind of came about. I did not know that. That's really cool. Yeah, definitely. 
So let's move on to the religious influences. This was really interesting for me. Um, so obviously, Avatar takes a lot off of Buddhism and Hinduism. Um, for example, in Buddhism, the four great elements are earth, water, fire, and air. In Hinduism, the great or quote-unquote gross elements are fivefold. So they're space or the ether or the void, which is something you'll see uh, kind of also kind of talking about energy, which we kind of see in Avatar and Korra, like the energy bending. Um, and of course, air, fire, water, and earth. I mean, Zaheer references the void uh, mm-hmm. many yep. times, <laughs> you know, yep. enter the void, something become wind. I can't remember the whole line, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this was also interesting too. So the actual word avatar comes from the Sanskrit word avatara, which means descent. So in the Hindu tradition, deities manifest themselves into physical forms or avatars to restore balance on earth, usually during a period of great evil. Hmm. So that seemed to be a major influence, obviously. Um, and another influence on the concept of the avatar comes from the Dalai Lama, which we kind of grazed the subject on the show before but going into more more in depth the current Dalai Lama right now um is called Dalai Lama Tenzin Gyatso obviously two names that we've heard in Avatar before and much like the Avatar the Dalai Lama is found so he's not chosen by anybody he is actually found and I wanted to know like what what is the process of finding the Dalai Lama. So um, there's this great little section from theconversation.com talking about it. And it says that the 14th Dalai Lama recounts in his memoirs about his early life that he remembered recognizing one of the monks in the search party, even though he was dressed as a servant. As a little boy, he remembers asking for the rosary beads the monks wore around their neck. These beads were previously owned by the 13th Dalai Lama. After this meeting, the search party came back again to test the young boy with further objects of the previous Dalai Lama. He was able to correctly choose all items, including a drum used for rituals and a walking stick. So this is really interesting and really parallels how at least how the air nomads um, have their own test to to find out who the avatar is. Um, so I thought this is a really, really interesting parallel. Um, and then a last little bit here, um, the connection of fire with the sun and dragons also draws parallels to the Egyptian veneration of Wajet and the Levantine seraphs, which were originally depicted as fiery winged dragons. And, um, this last bit I wanted to talk, I couldn't find a whole lot about it, um, but there are some small themes, biblical themes, Christian themes, um, obviously, Aang being resurrected is one of them. Um, but I saw in an article that someone likened the Avatar um, as a spiritual leader that is similar to the Pope, uh, who is charged with interceding between the spirit world and the human, just as the Pope serves as the vicar of Christ on Earth. And the uh, Avatar Roku and Fire Lord Sozin, um, who we just did their episode last week, uh, they seem to bear some resemblance between Moses and the Pharaoh in the tale of Exodus. Um, but apart from that, I don't think there are any other more blatant Christian themes. It's definitely um, more Eastern religions and stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think? I never considered the Exodus. Uh... Like I, I mean, I definitely thought like the resurrection, obviously. Um, but like when you brought when you brought up the you know Moses, the story of Moses and the Pharaoh from you know Exodus, like I never thought about that. That's that's, that kind of blew my mind. Um, but yeah, like 
This is so cool. I mean, this is the stuff that I nerd out about is like the world building and like the real life influences. Like, oh, this is so cool. I'm so glad we finally get to talk more about this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's it's also helps that Bryke seems they both have seemed to have taken a lot of care in how they transplant the these ideas from these religions into their own show in a way that's not a cult, like cultural appropriation or anything. Um, because they are very vocal about how where where all of these influences have come from. Um, and obviously it's not completely made up. But I think that's what makes world building like really cool is that a lot of it can be traced back to real world elements to make it kind of resonate more with the audience. What also makes it great is that like um you know, what makes it stand out from a lot of other fantasy shows and stories is that it's Eastern influences. A lot of fantasy that's popular right now is a lot very Eurocentric. Um mm-hmm. but this takes, I mean, like there are other like stories out there that focus on, you know, like African spirituality and things like that. Um, but the fact that like Avatar being as popular as it is being a different having a different pool of influences than a lot of other popular fantasy stories it's just super cool <laughs> yeah definitely and um quick shout out to the team over at legend of genji because they are actually considering african spirituality and their story and how characters in avatar can um function with that so definitely go and check them out um but yeah yeah very cool All right. Well, we're only 15 minutes in, but let's take a quick break. uh, And then we're going to talk about the anime and film influences of Avatar, as well as the cultural influences. So definitely stay tuned for that. Hey, everyone. Andre here. Before we get into the second half of the episode, we just wanted to remind everyone to check to make sure you are following the Avatar Hour podcast on your favorite podcast platform of choice. And if that platform has a rating system, please consider leaving us a review and some feedback. With subscribers and reviews, it allows us to reach future listeners and help the podcast grow in the long run. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. So we're switching over to some of the anime and other film influences uh, that kind of bled into Avatar. Uh, In the world of anime, um, Avatar Wiki, our number one source for our podcast, uh, shares from an interview with Bryke where uh, Brian said, the best anime balances great action sequences with humor and emotion, something that we try to do on Avatar. Uh, we love all the fil- the Miyazaki films, especially Spirited Away and Princess Mononoke. Uh, both movies deal with spirituality and the environment in an entertaining way. And also there's a lot of great animation. So that would make sense. I've only seen one. Of, I've only seen one of those movies. I only saw Kiki's Delivery Service, but everyone keeps telling me to watch those movies. Yeah, I've seen I've seen Spirited Away and I definitely um, see what they're talking about with that. Yeah, definitely check out Spirited Away. And there's actually a whole YouTube video that um, I'll link you guys to that is um, basing Spirited Away's um, like spiritual references and um, cultural references, like um, connecting the parallels between Eastern spirituality and Spirited Away's um, iconography. It's super cool. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the Avatar Avatar Wiki did also mention that there's a few other like references to like My Neighbor Totoro referencing like kind of how Appa's design had a little bit of influence from that movie. Um, Mm. And also I thought this was really interesting. So the idea of a villain being a person who has opposing interests from the hero came from Princess Mononoke, which in turn influenced Zaheer in Legend of Korra. So that was really cool to kind of see how much that kind of led into Avatar. 
Um, there's also influences in Cowboy Bebop, which I believe also is getting a, sh- a series on a live action series on Netflix. So yeah, that we'll be see how we'll see how that turns out. Yeah. And uh, I know my friends who have seen Cowboy Bebop and they are not impressed or excited about it. So. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, well, then tra- transitioning into film, um, Star Wars, we've already talked about that. Um, but we also have uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh, and there's a couple of specifics, uh, including like parallels between certain characters. Like, Yeah, we definitely I, I remember us talking last week when we were talking about the beach episode, how the idea of the of a beach episode or a pool episode is something that's derived from anime. Um, so that's like one way it kind of manifests in Avatar. And of course, there's there's a lot of discussion about is it a cartoon? Is it an anime? Does it matter like who the animation studio was? That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not the biggest connoisseur of anime, so I, I don't really have a an opinion about which is which. I just I probably fall more on the idea that it's an animated cartoon versus anime, but it just it it just kind of depends. I I don't feel very strongly about it. So, <laughs> um, so moving right along to the cultural influences, um, we talked a little bit about the spirituality and some of that kind of did slip into the cultural influences in this section. So, um, well, as we've probably mentioned on the podcast, the air nomads are inspired by Tibetan monks. Um, there are some things from Hinduism and Buddhism, uh, some beliefs from Hinduism and Buddhism, like things like the chakras, being vegetarians, things like that. Um, and as previously mentioned, um, you know, the process of finding the, you know, Dalai Lama, uh, which you know, put the toys. So I'm not going to go further into that because that's already been explored. <laughs> Moving over to the water tribe, uh, their influences come from Inuit and indigenous cultures, uh, the, the yin and yang of us, you know, the you know the two fish and the the two fish in the pond up in the northern water tribe, um, it comes from Chinese philosophy and other spiritual practices come from their mythology and religion and the spiritual practices from the water tribe come from Chinese philosophy and mythology. Um, switching over to the Earth Kingdom, it as I think we've also talked about this, uh, it is primarily based off of Chinese culture, architecture, all that good stuff. However, mm-hmm. I found this interesting. Kyoshi Island has a little bit more Japanese influence uh, than the rest of the Earth Kingdom. Interesting. And now switching over to the the hot topic, I'm going to make so many fire jokes on this. <laughs> the uh, hot the topic. Fire Nation. <laughs> So I have a lot more about the Fire Nation here because this is kind of the bigger focus of the episode. It's primarily based off of East, South, and Southeast Asia, and a little bit of influence from Mesoamerican civilizations. So the Fire Nation Royal Palace has influence from Egyptian and Chinese architecture. The Fire Nation capital is influenced by imperial cities of the Han Dynasty. The Fire Temple is a direct replica of Chinese-style pagodas. Emperor Island architecture resembles a lot of Southeast Asian resorts. And the Sun Warriors are based off of Maya and Aztec cultures, which were also sun worshippers. And as for the history side, because there's an important little footnote in the Avatar Wiki article that relates to our big topic here, Fire Nation imperialist propaganda is similar to Japan's during World War II. And I believe we mentioned that Japan is a very heavy influence on the development and look of the fire nation yeah the thing of sozin being like we need to share the wealth of the fire nation with the rest of the world is something that does come from um japanese imperialism but not exclusive to just um japan all right on to the burning question the hot topic i'm going to recycle these puns uh is the united states the fire nation what we've all been waiting for 
Mm-hmm. Um, so we did talk a little bit about this in the Footloose episode. Um, yes, they're not going to call it the Headbands, the Footloose episode. We talked a little bit about how the history is taught in the school scenes with, you know, mm-hmm. rewriting history by the victors. Um, which Andre, they gave a few notes about some extra history rewriting that's going on there. Yeah, I mostly noted two th- big things. Um, one is that everyone thinks that Susan like died peacefully in his sleep when he was instead pathetically dying alone, freezing his ass off, looking for the Avatar. Hmm. Um, and the Fire Nation has also apparently spread this lie that the Air Nation had a like militarized army. Um, that fought back against the Fire Nation when they had no such thing, and it was literally just straight-up genocide. Yep. Yeah, this sounds a lot like um, Columbus Apologia. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Very very topical, considering that Indigenous Peoples Day was just, like, what, less than two weeks ago? We've seen a resurgence (laughs) of many people um, coming to Columbus's defense. (laughs) (laughs) It's literally the, the education thing. Do people know what happened when he went back to Spain? Do people know what was going on? They literally put him on trial for his crimes. And they literally did the Spanish Inquisition. And they said, this guy was too much. Do you know how monstrous (laughs) you have to be to flag down the creators of the Spanish Inquisition? And they were like, that's just too much. Are you... No one knows about that. No one knows. No one talks about that. It's always about, you know, (laughs) Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. No. He also killed a lot of people and permanently fucked things in over. horrible terrible ways oh yeah. absolutely absolutely yeah i'll bring up this point that i i saw this tiktok which um was super interesting this person um talks about like what if the united states taught about um like slavery in this case the way that germany teaches about the holocaust including things like in history class like not just in history class but you know kind of showing the societal impact and things like that i'll have to find that tiktok again but you know it was mm-hmm. very interesting to see the difference between germany's education system and how they talk about dark parts of the history without you know about of their personal history without patriot you know without like patriotism and just showing the raw truth of it uh very different than how it is here in the states for sure yeah and i'm sure that idea that susan would just was just spreading his wealth with the world was also pushed in those fire nation schools as well to justify these like terrible acts of war and atrocity like much kind of like how how we teach how the u.s functions in at least a military capacity around the world so Mm -hmm. And yeah. also, like, you know, the exp- the westward expansion, you know, talking about, like, honestly, in my education experience, I mean, thankfully, it was a little bit, um, like, better than what I've heard some other folks' uh, history class experiences was. But it didn't quite talk a lot about the, um, like, we did talk about westward expansion and a lot of the propaganda that came out of, you know, the manifest destiny of mm-hmm. westward expansion in the continental United States. Um, but we didn't talk a lot about things like the trail of tears that made that kind of thing possible. You know? Yeah. My education was a very colored in the fact that it was mainly based in just like trade routes and imports and exports and stuff like that. But it never kind of delved into the terrible implications of what Western expansion meant for the rest of the world. Like it was never, never kind of like touched upon. It was just kind of like 
glossed over. Much honestly, much how like um when we were learning about the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, it was very much painted as the US had no choice but to bomb these these people. And that was and we were just supposed to be fine with it. Okay, yeah. So I actually this blew my mind in history class. I had it took me till I got to college to learn about like there was this report that was done on uh, whether to like try to helping them try to determine whether to bomb Japan or not. And like, I don't remember exactly what was said, but essentially it waters down to we don't need to. And also, apparently, Japan was planning on surrendering, uh, you know, before the bombs were even going to go, you know, even drop. Like, and yeah. also Hiroshima and Nagasaki were no threats. They weren't like, you know. No, they weren't militarized or They anything. weren't a militarized area. They were just towns. They were just cities. Like, they are just killed civilians. Like, for nothing. Like, I didn't learn any of that. And, and you know, it was like, I'm still, I'm sorry. I'm still angry about that. Just like, I mean, I, I'm glad you that should I learned be. it. I mean, I didn't learn that until just now. I'm glad that I learned it in, in, in college. I am grateful to have learned that. But the fact that it took me that long in my education to learn that. And some people don't yeah. even know this at all. I think pretty much if you do choose to go to college and you do take like a Western Civ course or something, a lot of it is spent being like, Oh, I was missing a very important piece of context back in high school or middle school, whatever. Oh, my goodness. I in elementary school, I remember very vividly um, doing a unit on Spanish conquistadors. And we um, actually each student was assigned a conquistador to do a project on. And we actually like filled out a, a questionnaire like this is the conquistador this is their their years of activity and this is the the list of places that they conquered essentially <laughs> and so we were like putting these historical figures on a pedestal as if they were heroes yeah. um for their actions <laughs> yeah and it's and it's all all framed as like a giant achievement that they did or like it was a, a a discovery it never touched on the actual grisly true nature of what actually went down yeah genocide of indigenous people yeah and one can draw parallels to the genocide of indigenous people to the genocide of the air nomads which Svetty, i believe you have some points on that that you wanted to talk about yeah i do i was thinking about this a lot today when i saw this um so um our nation still has indigenous people unlike the air nomads um who were completely killed off other than Aang, who was frozen and the parallel can't go unmentioned when talking about this topic because um the killing of the next avatar was the fire nation's main motivation um but we can't forget that this is because of the avatar's power Um, so they were trying to stave off that power because there would be three more cycles of avatars until the fire nation avatar would come about. Um, and so I think they were fearful of that. Um, but very similarly, um, we can draw this to, um, genocide of indigenous people specifically by Western European countries. And this isn't just in North America. This is in Africa, South America, Oceania, um, you name it anywhere. It's not just North America. And so, when I think about the question in this context, is the U.S. the fire nation? I have to take a step back for a second and think, what was the origin of the colonization history? And I'm thinking the original empire um, 
was Western Europe and the U.S., Oceania, um, and other places that have been colonized um, by Western Europe are simply the successful colonization efforts. And so they are not just the Fire Nation, they are the expansion of the Fire Nation by way of Western European conquerors. So no, you made some excellent points right there. Like I didn't even think of it like that. Yeah, because you have to think about the fact that um, the U.S. is perpetuating um, currently this idea of successful colonization by continuing to sit on stolen indigenous land, um, not giving reparations, and continuing to put U.S. military bases places that they right. don't belong, um, which is something that we'll get into in a little bit. Um, but let's not also forget about um, the repression of indigenous peoples to keep them from rebelling against the empire. So I'm specifically thinking about how the Fire Nation imprisoned earthbenders and um, took away their abilities in season one, but also um, about how um, the water tribe's stories and histories and practices um, were kind of staved off year after year. And Katara was kind of trying to bring them back because of this imperialist idealism. So um, you can see a lot of this happening in modern day U.S. and Canada, as well as other places around the world, too. But I'm just thinking in our local context. Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't put this in the doc because I just thought about it now. But the the point you made about the imprisoned earthbenders also kind of reminds me about the Japanese internment camps. Uh, of of yes. how these people were again not a military threat just happened to come from somewhere that was currently at war with the U.S. You know, so and it's even we've also even pointed out on the show that the Fire Nation's war efforts are also negatively impacting their own citizens, and definitely feel like we kind of play, play like play a role in that because like if you think about pretty much any other country. They have figured out a way, um, any developed country have figured out a way that they can still have a military, but also have things like a livable wage, nationalized health care, that sort of thing, where we cannot even begin to address that issue because we are spending, what, $700 billion a year on the military when we have people literally dying in the streets, homeless, cannot, like, living paycheck to paycheck. People, like, having, to, people having to go fund me their medical expenses. Exactly. And for what? For this occupation of of Syria or Afghanistan, like these pointless occupations for what? You know, like it's 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 a, a direct parallel about what those people in the Painted Lady episode were kind of dealing with, not to mention the environmental impact, which we will get to in a little bit as well. So as we see in the show, the fire sages were originally meant to serve the Avatar, but they end up turning into Ozai's, you know, flying monkeys, essentially. Um while they're not the Fire Nation exactly, the Dai Li also end up working against their original purpose, and they end up working for Azula in the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we've made some parallels about, like, you know, police and the Dai Li and how they're kind of, like, their role in the show as well. But I just kind of thought about them because it's it just felt like a very... Um, because they are, they're not meant to be participating within the war effort for the Fire Nation, but they kind of ultimately defer that way after the coup that Azula pulled off in like three hours or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, and there's, I, there was also this other point, which we briefly alluded to earlier about um, 
the Fire Nation slash the U.S. colonizing and inhabiting inhabiting areas that don't belong to them, i.e., U.S. military occupied places that they do not belong to. Um, and I think Savannah, you also had some n- notes on this as well. Yeah. So um, while kind of researching for this episode, um, I was thinking a lot about this fact and um, the quote that we've been referencing throughout um, the podcast already, but I'll go ahead and just read it off um, from Fire Lord Sozin, where he says, our nation is enjoying an unprecedented time of peace and wealth. Our people are happy and we're so fortunate in so many ways. I've been thinking we should share this prosperity with the rest of the world. In our hands um, is the most in our hands is the most successful empire in history. It's time we expanded it. And so this kind of rhetoric, um, whether or not the motivation was internally altruistic is being, um, kind of, I guess, um, marketed as altruistic. Mm -hmm. And so, um, he's attempting very poorly to, um, kind of make this argument that the empire is what's best for every nation um, throughout this world, um, which isn't true, but we can see this like really, really starkly right now with what's happening in Afghanistan. And, um, one large motivation, um, which started, um, with the war on terror, um, in the Bush administration was, um, kind of this idea of femme imperialism. And what I mean by that is, um, kind of justifying imperialism through a feminist lens, So um, First Lady Laura Bush was a big factor in this, saying that um, women's rights under the the Taliban were needing some help from U.S. military, that we could um, free women from these oppressive chains by sending military forces in and helping with that effort. But um, that is just a a one-off way to kind of justify um, entering other countries and um, invoking imperialism for the altruistic sake of feminism, but it's actually doing much more harm than good. And um, it's not just for the sake of feminism, but for uh, many other human rights um, violations that we tend to do this. And as far as I know, um, I I think there's about um, 800 U.S. bases in more than 70 countries worldwide. And um, I don't think there's a single military base on U.S. soil that is not a U.S. military base. I know we have um, certain representatives that come to the U.S., but we don't have any military bases from outside the U.S. So that's something to think about. (laughs) Definitely, definitely something to think about. Yes. Just a bit. I also was thinking about how this isn't a a very big thing that's prevalent in Avatar, but it is sort of hinted at. It's also kind of hinted in um, Shadow of Kiyoshi, where uh, the plan that Zuko spoke out against in the war room, if I'm remembering correctly, was the idea of putting uh, these inexperienced Fire Nation military members at the front lines of an attack as a distraction, knowing that they were going to die. And it just got me thinking about how the military on a whole preys on people who either cannot afford college or don't have any reasonable prospects after they graduate from high school so that just kind of got me thinking because this is a very hyperbolic kind of statement about the military but that everyone in it are heroes and doing it for their country and everything and while i am sure that is true for a good majority of the people who do sign up for service and of course we should be thankful a lot of it does come down to people not 
being able to afford to live in this country without military benefits. And we all know how the military largely on the whole abandons people, especially older veterans after they have served for 30, 40, 50 years, even, you know, um, and there was, of course, a, a smaller plot point in Shedeku Yoshi. It's not a big spoiler, but the if you remember, Kayla, the betraying members of the clans would be there was an idea to put them in the military so they could have some use for their country, you know. That's right. And yeah. especially the the poorer clans that are not well off, you know. So there's also that idea of that. And then I think we we haven't touched on this quite yet, but I kind of just jotted Guantanamo Bay, Lake Lao guy, question mark. There might be something there, but uh, Savannah had some thoughts here. An essay, and I love it. Yeah, yeah I, I seriously went ham in this thing. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. That's literally what this podcast what, is for, yes. for going ham on <laughs> things that might other people might think are small. Yeah. So go for it. We're ready. I, the floor is yours. I actually like didn't know much about Guantanamo Bay until I saw this point because I was already kind of drawing parallels between um, the not only the U.S. and the Fire Nation, but the U.S. and um, Bossing Say or the Earth Kingdom. Mm -hmm. And so um, the reason why I say this is um, because the U.S. has a way of um, kind of forcing um, ignorance on folks. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But um, one of the things to mention is that um, U.S. imperialism to a lot of people who follow political majority groups um, is not like blindly evident to everyone. Mm -hmm. And um, this is for a lot of different reasons. Um, it could be because we are kind of forcing this idealism of the American dream on them and they're working towards an unattainable goal. Um, it could be because of propaganda, it could be because of um, just keeping um, certain things under wraps. Um, but take, for instance, like Lake Lao Guy, the government of Bossing Se um, performs incredible human rights violations in the name of peace. Mm -hmm. um, and the U.S. does the same thing. Um, and then these groups can turn um, a blind eye to struggles perpetuated by U.S. government and military forces in the name of keeping war off our own turf. So um, like, for instance, um, Guantanamo Bay, there's a detention center there very much like um, the Lake Lao Guy Detention Center. And that detention center was actually supported by the Trump administration and has recently been um, promised by the Biden administration to shut it down. Um, but you can see the switch in political power and the switch in um, wanting that detention center open versus not wanting the detention center open. Um, so yeah, anyway, um, it also draws parallels between um, not only Lake Lao Guy and Guantanamo Bay, but also just like the unspeakable acts at the U.S.-Mexico border um, and then political majority groups turning a blind eye um, to that in the, U, um, the name of U.S. protection and safety, mm. um, kind of claiming that um, people immigrating from other countries, specifically Mexico and specifically people of color, um, are being targeted as dangerous individuals coming yep. into the country with um, malevolent kind of motivations. So, yeah. And then I, I guess the next thing is um, we talked about military bases in other countries, but if we're, if we're thinking about that, um, we draw parallels between that and bossing say, um, because of forced ignorance and blind allegiance, a lot of people kind of see military bases and military work as altruistic. Like we talked about before, like heroism and true acts of bravery 
when in actuality, people don't get to see that side of um, what's actually happening on the ground. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. And it also, it, it also turns a blind eye to the reason that we have people going to the military in the first place is again, to fight these pointless wars to fuel this military industrial complex in the name of good old capitalism. Um, yeah, I know this is more an Earth Kingdom sort of perspective, but there are also some things that we can look at the Earth Kingdom that apply to this. I also think the what you said about making the public blind in the in an effort to maintain peace is also kind of what's happening with the global supply sh- shortage crisis, one of the many humanitarian crises this country is currently um, developing. Um, but I saw this amazing TikTok of, of someone pointing out how the news and the media are... In, in an effort to talk about this, they frame it in like, oh, it might be a little harder to get your Christmas presents this year because if they flat out say it's going to be hard to buy food, people are going to panic, you know? So kind yeah. of doing it, like painting it in another light in an effort to maintain peace. I think we also kind of saw this at the beginning of the pandemic too. Granted, we didn't know a whole lot about the coronavirus at that point, but a lot of the the rhetoric, particularly on the conservative side, was, you know, it only affects older people, you know, it's no worse than the flu, that sort of thing, you know, so there is some parallels going on there. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the climate change theme that we see. Um, The Fire Nation is heavily linked to climate destruction, um, as we see not only of the Air Nation genocide and when they had to, like, blow up the Northern Air Temple, um, but also, of course, in the Painted Lady episode of the sludge they're dumping into the river of the town next door, that sort of thing. Um, the I, I was doing a little bit of research on this, and it links to the U.S.'s sort of impact on climate change because um, in 2019, the U.S. produced 6.6 billion metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent greenhouse gas emissions which at the time was the second largest in the world, the first one being China. Um, and yes, we are the leading, one of the leading countries in climate change. And unfortunately, it's still very hard to pass any sort of legislation to curb it. Um, and then kind of, again, continuing our point about the military, um, Savannah, you had a, a quick point here. Yeah, so the military... Um is both a Fire Nation trait and a Bossing Say slash Earth Kingdom trait, um, like we talked about a little bit before. Um, the military is a weapon of mass destruction and holds the equipment um, like um, nuclear weapons and um, tons and tons of just normal weapons um, that can destroy nations if they so choose. Um, and they have chosen, they have chosen to uh, wage war upon other nations uh, in our lifetime as well. Um, but they also use the military as a way to secure the nation's allegiance and um, this I- idealistic free nation brought on by, like we said before, forced ignorance. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. And there's also like, you know, um, an inability to criticize the military since yeah. 9-11. Like, you know, like pre-9-11, there used to be a lot of movies making fun of the military. And so not not a lot, but there were some. I think there's one with Bill Murray in it. Um, that's not allowed anymore. Um, there's even like the, you know, U.S. military also is a consult in a lot of movies, Marvel included. Oh, Captain yes. Marvel is the most recent example of this. Um, like, yeah, they will think- funnel money into Hollywood productions 
for propaganda, literally, to, to be present in the movie. They literally made propaganda around, like, the Air Force using Captain Marvel. And, of course, I mean, how, how can we forget the Ember Island players? That whole thing of how it's it's painting the Fire Nation again as the the superpower of the world and spreading its wealth and everything and and how the Fire Nation winning in the end is a good thing for everybody. Like that's a, a giant thing as well. You know, there's it's just it's a certain level of delusion that a lot of people have fallen into, unfortunately. Um Yep. But yeah, and then this was the one that I was really interested about. So this idea of nationalism and ultra hyper patriotism obviously the fire nation has something about honor um <laughs> this is best Just a little bit this is best represented yeah. in shadow of kiyoshi if you haven't read it obviously go do it everyone's um, obsessed with honor and they want to kill each other <laughs> Yeah, but it's the yeah the idea of the um not only just the patriotism but the elitism of, as well and the the propensity to hold up cultures and traditions and fighting off progress is something that we do see here in this country and there is also a sense of inherent superiority and this heightened sense of of patriotism prevalent in most of America um I'd say all of us on this panel don't feel as if the U.S. is the best country in the world. Um, in fact, we we rank very low on many. <laughs> Savannah just threw up the peace sign. <laughs> Love that for us. Can, 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 like can we do like a screenshot of us doing that? Just like... do that. Hi. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely don't think that. Um, and even though, you know what, even though I... Are, I'm not proud of my country. I always take offense to the people like either in Europe or Australia and they're like, do Americans know we don't want to move there? And I'm like, yeah, we, we know. know. I it don't want to be here. It was like, I remember in the 2020 election, like it felt almost as if, or even like the debates, remember that? Mm. It almost felt as if the rest of the world was commenting on it as if it was like some fun reality show while we're here being like, this is what we have for the livelihood of our country and exactly. other people that we care about. And while people abroad were kind of like joking about what former years of Trump were going to look like, I, I was worried about whether marriage equality would stand in a Trump presidency for four more years. Like yeah. if it, and even so it's still attacked today and, and is in deep peril even now, even with the Biden presidency. But yeah, that is a, that is a thing. Um, we we don't yeah. really see that particularly in Avatar, but that's just something I I just wanted to talk it's, about. It's you know what this is the space to talk about these kind of things. It is loosely related to what we're discussing. It it's fine. It's as okay. long as it's loosely related, we're good. <laughs> there's a, there's a tie to it, but also with like the nationalism, like it feels like as I've grown up, I remember like thinking when I was little, I'm like you know like probably once I reach like middle school, I'm like the Fourth of July gets less fun every year. Yeah. yeah yeah and then why is that so true it's and, true like, i was like that's like my first realization that i'm like huh maybe we're not a so great of a country <laughs> yeah but that's like the little kid version of gaining awareness yes oh my gosh the indoctrination from a young age and you're the like pledge of allegiance you know seriously uh, they still do it every single morning in this school that i observe in and I'm i'm the only one in there with the other teacher so i'm like i don't want her to like yell at me so i'm gonna stand up but i'm just like not gonna see mm -hmm. do you know um, they're still doing the pledge of allegiance in zoom school no they are yep that's a thing 
Oh my god! Did they like did they like screen share a picture of the the flag? Maybe you know probably yeah. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised honestly. Yeah, when I was working um at a daycare last year when COVID was at its worst, I mean still pretty bad, but when all the kids were they couldn't be in school, I was watching the kids as they were in online class, and every morning they had to like stand up, like position their Zoom laptop so that the teacher could see them. And had to say out the Pledge of Allegiance in a room full of kids. And if they didn't, they would get yelled at. Oh, my God. Yeah. Did you guys have, like, back in high school, middle school, did you guys have that one kid in class who was who you thought was, like, crazy? But in looking back, you're like, damn, that's metal as fuck. But they didn't stand up, and then they got in trouble every single time? Yeah. <laughs> I never had that in my classes. But really? I wouldn't be surprised if there were some kids who were like that. There was always at least one in every every year I had. There was always at least one. I had a couple. And back then I was like, how dare you? But now I'm just like, bitch, you better work. <laughs> I'd rather you do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. And then like the Colin Kaepernick, uh, you know, kneeling for the flag situation. Like I even tried to oh. explain like the, why he was doing that to someone I was talking to. Like, I had a swim meet. And... But that's the thing. <laughs> Going back to the military complex of it all. People saw that as the biggest disrespect to veterans in the military. And it had literally nothing to do with the military. No. Directly, at least. My father was a Green Beret. Like I'm like, well, there was a Green Beret who told Colin Kaepernick to kneel during the, you know, if you wanted to. It speaks to the extent of the propaganda to consider the Pledge of Allegiance directly impacted with the lives of the people lost fighting pointless wars. Mm-hmm. that it speaks a lot to that connection that people make all the time. But honestly, especially since the Trump presidency, it's literally gotten to a point where if I see American flag in, in front of someone's house, I immediately assume, assume the worst. That's yeah. just, that's just how it's like literally, especially when it's like in someone's like Twitter profile or something like I'm like fight or flight. Like Fascist. I, I am not gonna, <laughs> I like, I know, I just know what I'm going to get into. I just like, you know, like, you know, that like Dr. Seuss book of, are you my mother? Like change it to, are you a fascist? Yeah. <laughs> that's just me now. That's just, that's just who I've become. This is just how I've. Mm. Yeah, and it's just guess who with your neighbors. Well, it's it's even worse when when things like the Blue Lives Matter flag came out, and it was you know, and apparently, obviously, these people don't read the Constitution because apparently you're not supposed to alter or do anything to the American flag, but they're don't they don't really care. Um, I should have wrote an article when I used to write for Odyssey about like, well, here's some ways that actually disrespect the American flag, including putting um, putting the American flag on your suit bottoms and paper plates. Yeah, when I published it, I was like, hell yeah, Kayla. I remember that. I forgot. I forgot we all wrote at the Odyssey. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, listeners, you're listening to three former um, Odyssey article writers, um, and we do not recommend. <laughs> do not recommend. Um, oh, you're looking fuck. at a former Odyssey president. <laughs> <Do> not recommend. <laughs> anyway, but I was gonna say, speaking as someone who um, immigrated to this country and was brought here in the effort of having a better future than I would have in Portugal, I'm not gonna say that that's not true. I'm not going to minimize how much better off we are than most of the world. That doesn't mean I think we're a great country by any means. Yeah. It's still pretty bad. But 
I'm, I cannot safely say, like, I'm proud to be an American because that mm-hmm. has so much more baggage now, especially after the Trump presidency, that I just it does. did not yeah. want to do that. And also as as um someone who also had to, like, get their own, like, U.S. citizenship and everything, I remember even, like, I think I was, like, 15 when I did it. The oath that, that they make you take is, like, really kind of... If you thought the Pledge of Allegiance was bad, it's, like... It's basically along the lines of, do you promise to like lay down your life and your and your pride for your country and renounce your honor to your other country or something like that? And I remember being like, yeah, yeah, I guess <laughs> it was very. Yeah, yeah, it has. I'm looking at it right now. I, that I will bear arms on behalf of the United States when required by law, that I will perform non-combatant service in the armed force of the United States when required by law, that I'll perform work of national importance under civilian direction when, inqu- when required by the law. And I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. So help me God. (laughs) Yeah. Do we just like sign on to this shit when we get born? I don't know. I mean, people who are born here don't take that oath. So someone spoke on my behalf on my baptism saying that I had rejected Satan. So, you know, I mean, oh, well, there's that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a whole other bit of baggage to unpack (laughs) of like religion, Christianity in the United States and how all the, the, you know, nationalism, Christianity and that -hmm. stuff all jumbles up and, you know, manufactures oppression. Uh, (laughs) Exactly. um, And that's another podcast. Yes. One thing that I thought about when we were talking about this is um, an analogy that one of my colleagues made. I, I'm a um, teacher of women's and gender studies now. Um, So um, yeah, pretty excited about that. But um, we we have lots of discussions about um, privilege and oppression and all that stuff. We've been talking about those on the last couple of weeks. And um, one of my colleagues, their name is Trey, they um, kind of explain to me in a, a way that's much easier to explain to other people um, the kind of pie chart of privilege. And um, the whole fact of it is that is that this is all you get. You can't add or take away. Mm-hmm. At, but like white people, specifically Western European white people, specifically America, has a larger portion of that pie than the rest of the world. And the only way that we are going to be able to give reparations to the people we have harmed is to take away our own privilege to add to their privilege. Right. There's no other way that anything's going to happen unless we actively diminish some part of the harm we are serving in order to give some kind of reparation. And if COVID-19 has taught us anything is that you cannot tell white people to do anything Mm-mm. absolutely not i'm i mean a mask is like the absolute least you can do bare minimum yeah. and a lot of people still won't do that still like, even it's we're a almost violation hitting, of my rights we've almost hit the two-year mark and i'm just it, we're still having it it's honestly so exhausting that we have to say it's exhausting. having to have this conversation over and over and over and over again Y'all remember like back in May where things like looked good for like three weeks and then <sighs> those were the days and then Delta came back and you're like, well, fuck. And then this even the CDC was like, no masks anymore. And I'm like, I feel like that's going to backfire. Are you sure? <laughs> I feel like sure that's going to. That? Yeah, I feel like yeah, that's going to. Yeah. Which. <sighs> oh, my goodness. Bringing me to my next question. Do you think. How would the Fire Nation handle a pandemic like that? Something about masks violate my personal honor. Violate my personal honor. Yeah. Well, there's that parallel of honor and freedom. 
between the Fire Nation and the U.S., right? About how it's completely unalienable, right? And again, that whole inherent superiority thing. Zhao would be Zhao would be active on uh, QAnon. <laughs> oh, he would be QAnon. <laughs> What are you talking about? We gotta bring back Zhao into the conversation. That's not a Savannah guest episode without shitting on oh Zhao. Yeah, yeah, it's literally be the underscore Moonslayer or something. Um, <laughs> it, it would be so bad. It would. He, would he literally end like typing away on 4chan, like just fucking just going ham about the conspiracy theory about how the Fire Nation is like. Uh, sitting on top of a dragon egg or something. I uh, fuck. I don't I've got know. the honestly. Like, do you think that he would be the one to take ostrich horse, uh, you know, medicine? I think he would start that thing about how Fire Lord Sozin will come back from the dead and be back in office by oh my next gosh. month. And then when it doesn't happen, he just keeps putting it off by a month. Yeah, Fire Lord Sozin twenty twenty four. No, but yeah, there is that that parallel of like the honor and the freedom and everything, and even the U.S. in its freedom ranks pretty low on the list of other countries right but yeah but talking about the idea of the american dream my thing about it is that we've gotten to this point now where a lot of people especially after the pandemic have realized that the american dream is not one not attainable for most people and two not something that most people want so the american dream now is to not achieve the old american dream of going to a nine to five house kids and just die. We have, there's a new sort of dream kind of like taking shape. I don't know if that's too lofty, but that's, that's no, kind of how I feel. That about makes it. so it much makes sense. sense. It makes sense. And one thing that I was thinking about when you were mentioning um, this ideal of honor within the fire nation is that honor we can equate um, more likely to the pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality mm-hmm. um, within the U.S. So then the American dream is kind of harbored on this this false sense of um, success when you really cannot pull yourself up by your bootstraps, even if you tried, um, yeah. because the wealth inequality in America is so significant that there's it's it is a system built to keep that American dream from happening. So I think this um, for some people. For some people, yeah. For other people, you know, um, they just ex- exploit others, and there you go. You got. If you're not, dream. if you're not a middle to you know upper middle class, upper class cisgender straight white man, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely right. And again, the most influential and su- successful people in the Fire Nation are people who are in the military. You know, like those are the people that seem to be the most well off, and everyone is is kind of just stuck within the scraps, the middle class. It almost kind of like um. Uh, I don't know if either either of y'all have seen Game of Thrones, but literally in Game of Thrones, there's the city of King's Landing, and and it's a city um, where the outside of it is ev- everyone is living in squalor and everything, and in the middle is this magnificent castle where the royalty live, and it's kind of like the Fire Nation caldera of the Fire Nation palace in the middle, while the people are outside, and while they don't appear to be living in squalor, that seems to it's be... It's still not great. It's still not great, and it seems that seems to be more um, reserved for the, the Fire Nation colonies, or people living outside of that caldera yeah. with the palace. Um, and also, even we see that in Ba Sing Se as well, even though they're not the main topic of this of episode. Course. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. Um, well, I also kind of like the whole, I'll talk about nationals, it kind of brings us into Zuko, what Zuko says to his father, which I honestly, I think is probably one of the, the quote that inspired this whole mm-hmm. episode. 
So when Zuko finally turns against uh, Ozai, he tells him that growing up, we were taught that the Fire Nation was the greatest civilization in history and that somehow the war was our way of sharing our greatness with the rest of the world. What an amazing lie that was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that kind of just ties up what, what we said earlier on, the lie that we're the best country in the world, the the best superpower in the world and how only we can fix the world's problems. Yeah, that. Yeah, and so Zuko's story arc here specifically um, kind of gives us an idea of what a complicit or even harmful citizen um, looks like switching to active allyship and actively handing um, or putting a hand in providing justice to those who have been served injustice by the Fire Nation. And it's the prince of the fire nation. So he's literally turning on his own family, his own nation to serve justice. And this could very much be a parallel to white allyship um, because white allyship is actively taking a piece of your own privilege in order to provide privilege to another person, just like we talked about earlier in the episode. And Zuko's doing just that. So this is kind of a, a positive light of the episode is that there are people like Zuko in the world that are actively working toward giving reparations to people who have been harmed. And obviously you can't fully do that without um, tearing down systems that oppress, but it's a, it's a step towards individual reparations. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think with Zuko in particular, I mean, even the fact, I think it is a privilege in the fire nation to even have honor to begin with Mm -hmm. and taking that away from him while still maintaining a level of privilege again, speaks to what you were talking about, the white allyship and how like that parallel to honor and freedom. I think a lot of people who value the freedoms of this country tend to fall more in the conservative worldview. And it seems to be the thing that really blinds people to the downfalls and atrocities that this country commits on a daily basis. And it's a very big factor in how we're functioning as a society today, the lie of freedom, the lie that that we are the freest country in the world. And that's, again, what we've been taught from day one in school, right? That's, I mean, we the people always, you know? So yeah, it's a really, really interesting parallel. And especially what that means for people who who think that the whole, like the masks mandates and everything are, consequential to a loss of freedom that obviously has manifested itself in very troubling and unfortunate ways a lot of people dying because they don't just get a vaccine because they think getting vaccinated is somehow again an infringement on their rights and freedoms that it's again that i think that idea of honor and freedom well i think for a character standpoint the idea of honor for Zuko and how that functions in his redemption arc works. But I think on the whole, the idea of honor, the idea of freedom when implemented into a society seems to never work out the best. And you can tell as again, this is more prevalent in the Kiyoshi novels as well, but the people of the fire nation are very, very concerned with how other people view them, how they present themselves to other people and how well they memorize the traditions, the co- the communication style, uh, everything to the point where it it comes off as extremely non authentic, right? So it's these two things that cloud both the societies of the Fire Nation and the societies of our country. So yeah, that was a great parallel. I, yeah, I wasn't absolutely. Even thinking about that, so thank you. 
So to answer the question that we brought up in the episode title, is the U.S. the fire nation? <laughs> yes. Yeah. But it's probably and, a little bit more complicated than yeah, just absolutely. yes. Like, yeah. fictionalized stories aren't able to directly replicate real, real world implications, but they do help to understand some complex things a little bit. Doesn't oh, help yeah. cover everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that definitely there are some lessons to be learned and, you know, from watching the Fire Nation in Avatar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I especially loved Savannah's point about the role of western europe in this discussion as well um and while surely america has in in the beginning taken some points for that there's still kind of like that parallel between them for sure mm-hmm. well that wraps up our discussion of that burning question as kayla so eloquently puts it is the u.s fire nation listeners if you have any thoughts and i'm sure a lot of you do go ahead and send it to us stay tuned uh uh, for the end where you can get all of our details on social media and where you can con- contact us. But for now, let's move on to Phantom Corner. So Phantom Corner is also very loosely tied to what we're uh, talking about with the Fire Nation, but that's about it. Um, <laughs> so this has, uh, this is from Tumblr, like all of our, just about all of our Phantom Corners are from uh, Tumblr screenshots. So it's a picture from the Boiling Rock episode uh, and Zuko is, you know, working on his breathing to keep his fire bending while locked in the ice box and so the episode not the episode the post opens with airbenders are able to warm themselves with only their breathing and the comment below it says okay so this explains why Katara and Sokka were bundled up in parkas galore while Aang was just walking around with a little jumpsuit like it was the perfect summer evening I'm glad this was cleared up I literally thought Aang's optimistic attitude is what kept him warm heavens <laughs> <laughs> And then the comment below, it says, so you remember the firebender prison and how Zuko kept his bending at full strength when he was put in the freezer box, which disabled anybody else put in there? That's because Iroh taught him that airbender trick, just like he taught him waterbending moves that deal with lightning. Iroh was secretly master of four elements and passed it on to Zuko without him noticing. And then one person commented in all caps below, Avatar Iroh. (laughs) I love that. Yeah, that's a really cool observation. I, l- I love that that Zuko inhabited the, t- the, the teachings and actually listened to Iroh about the balance of the four nations and everything. And I'm excited to, to get to this episode, but also to get, obviously, to the finale because there are a lot of people that pointed out that in that final Agni Kai, Zuko in, um, uh, demonstrates all kinds of bending techniques in his fight with Azula. Um, so that's going to be really interesting to observe, but we're not there yet. So we will talk about it there yet. So at stay some tuned point. for that. Mm-hmm. All right. So time for recommendations. Let's start with Savannah. What do you recommend for our listeners? Okay. So this is something I wanted to do, um, this, um, Halloween season, but it didn't end up being in my budget, but I saw on TikTok that you can visit the actual Halloween town in St. Helens, Oregon. Yeah. Um, and it's a dream of mine. It stays up all year round. It's also um, kind of surrounded by scenes from the film Twilight. So you can mm. kind of check out, which some people might like. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry. Some people. Flashbacks to 2012 and 2013 where I was in my, everyone had a Twilight phase, whether they hated it or loved it. And I was the one that would just passionately hate against it it's just 13 it's just like the 12 13 year old me that just came out for a second i am so sorry you can enjoy whatever you want enjoy whatever you want it was just a voluntary response 
No, it's okay. I read all of the books um, religiously when I was younger, and um, I, I love to see my uh, my loved literature be highly problematic. <laughs> like mm-hmm. when I when I get older, Harry Potter, um, Twilight, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it stays um it stays up all year round, um, and you can go check it out. And even if you can't like actually go to it, you can just visit it on Google Images. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, Kayla, what do you recommend? All right, so in the spirit of Halloween, I have another spooky recommendation for you. It's not really that spooky, actually. It's very queer, though. Um, I recommend seeing the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Now, not just looking, not just watching it on Hulu. I want you to go out and find your local shadow cast. The shadow cast basically acts out the movie as it happens behind them on screen. Um, And it is super fun. And basically what goes on in a Rocky Horror Shadow cast is, like I said, the actors are acting out the scenes as the movie is playing in the background. But you get to yell callbacks. There's like there's been callbacks that has been going on since the 70s when Rocky Horror first came out. Um, you know, there's like there's props you get to throw. You get, you get to throw like toilet paper at one point and like put a party hat on your head at certain points in the film. Like it's just a big interactive experience. And it's just really fun it's it's fun it's raunchy it's queer so fucking queer uh but it's just a great time and i think everyone should experience it not just watch the movie experience it at least once in their life i went to my second one a few weeks ago and such a great time i want to do it again awesome very very fun yeah i have yet to uh watch rocky horror picture show which i feel like is a gay sin um, yeah, no, me oh my too. god virgin literally the, the third gay in the group and i've never seen rocky horror picture show <laughs> oh my god you guys are such fucking virgins that's what they refer to people who haven't experienced rocky horror with a shadow cast there's one in pittsburgh that's the one that i go to the, the junior chamber of commerce players um so look up your local shadow cast and check it out and the one that i'm near is does it year round so anyway Enough right. about Rocky. What do you recommend, Andre? Well, I'll just hold on, I have to text my boyfriend that I had to go lose my virginity. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I recommend I got the the amazing opportunity. Sorry, Savannah. <laughs> oh my I had <laughs> I had the amazing opportunity uh this past weekend. Or was it this past weekend? Yeah, it was this past weekend. Man, it's just been a long fucking week. This past weekend yeah. to uh, go to the Kennedy Center in DC to see Hades Town. Um, they're doing a national tour, and I haven't said this on the show, but this is one of my top three musicals. I love it to death. It was amazing. I cried several times, not because of uh, you know some sad things that happened, but just just of how good it was. I just get emotional when things are really fucking good. Um, and good news for anyone listening. Um, if you don't know the show, go and listen to it. If you do know the show and want to see the tour and you're not able to go to the Walter care in Broadway, this tour is going on until 2023 and they are going to all over the country. They're going to places like, uh, Boston, Massachusetts, Columbus, Ohio, New Orleans, Houston, Texas, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, um, Tucson, Los Angeles. They're going everywhere. And I'm sure if you really want to go see it, there's definitely uh, places you can go see it. And the tickets were not expensive at all. Um, they are not like $200 tickets or even 120 I paid 90 tickets for both me and my boyfriend. So, And it is 
well worth it. So if you are able to go and see it, uh, definitely go and check it out. It was also my first time seeing a theater production since before the pandemic uh, happened. Aww. And that was really emotional. Um, but yeah, this was an amazing welcome back to so musical theater. you got theater. 90 tickets to go see <laughs> Hades Town? I was laughing. Did I say 90 tickets? You said I paid 90 tickets. <laughs> I meant to say I paid $90 for tickets. Uh, you just kind well, of mushed it together. It's okay. Hey, we all have slip-ups on the show and it's all funny. So <laughs> I actually am going to see Hades Town next month on Broadway. I'm so excited. <sighs> Fuck no, I have to go see Hades Town. Yeah, you do. You do. They're coming. I think they're coming to Pittsburgh in like November, December of next year. I think. Yes, they are. Yep. So, mm-hmm. so I'll exciting. have to provide it all goes well on my date next week, and hopefully, we'll you know things go well enough that it could be a date idea next year. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Savannah, <laughs> you have to tell me how that goes. I'm so jealous. Wow. I was supposed to go see it on Broadway, um, literally a week before uh, Broadway shut that. down. I was making plans and I didn't get to um, buy my tickets for the same reason. Yeah. But I'm glad to finally see it. It's truly amazing. I'm so excited. Oh my goodness. Well, as always, if you'd like some extra Avatar Hour in your life, you can subscribe to our exclusive Patreon for as little as $1 a month or as much as $5 a month at patreon.com slash the Avatar Hour podcast for some amazing benefits, including access to our show notes, the ad-free Avatar Hour, and of course, our flagship benefit, the Avatar After Hour. And if you'd like to submit some stuff for Fandom Corner or your reflections on this episode, you can follow us on social media on Twitter at Avatar Hour and at the Avatar Hour podcast on Instagram and Facebook and DM us your thoughts. Also, you know, we we accept memes as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we always appreciate that. And uh, if you want to email us your thoughts as well, we have an email at the Avatar Hour podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from all of you. Yeah, we've been getting a lot of listener feedback recently and a lot of great contenders for Fandom Corner. So if you want to send in something and you think it'd be good for Fandom Corner, definitely send it in. Um, and also, if you want your voice to make a special appearance on the show, feel free to record your theories or any feedback about the show on the Voice Memo app on your phone. And you can go ahead and email them over to the Avatar Hour podcast at gmail.com. Uh, Savannah, where can our listeners follow you? Um, listeners can follow me on Twitter under Sam Everlark underscore, and it's exactly how it sounds. Work. <laughs> we'll put that in the, the description as well. Thank you so much for coming on, Savannah. As always, it was a true delight talking to you. Absolutely. Today. Thank you. I had so much fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, all right, listeners, we will see you guys next week. Until then, my name's Andre. I'm Kayla. And I'm Savannah. Bye. Bye, everyone.